Good morning. those um, last songs we were singing you're worthy of it all (laughs) and in all we stand in we stand in awe of you that that word awe that's where we get the word awesome which if you've heard me say before, probably one of the most overused words or inappropriately used words in the English language. Because if you get a new pair of shoes, your new pair of shoes are not awesome. Sorry. They might be pretty, they might be good, they might be functional, they are not awesome. God is awesome. That word, that word, that word of awe, it, in, it, it encapsulates the fear of God because he is an awesome, awesome God. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's, uh, that's an element, I believe, that has been lacking from the body of Christ, but it's coming back. <laughs> the awe of who God is. Hallelujah. Glory, glory to God. Um, I want to speak this morning, <clears throat> and uh, I do have a, a uh, title, Spirit-Led Thinking. Now, it, it came from last week's message, and there were some people who weren't here for last week's message. So um, I'm just going to recap um, just quickly. Last week I was, I was talking about, um, well, I started off with, the issue that um, the disciples had, and that was the question that they that they it kept, just kept coming up: who is who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? They wanted to know. Well, who who's the greatest in the kingdom? And um, you know, Jesus uh, sort of put them in there in their place when he brought a little child, and he said, "He's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven." And we have to receive the kingdom of God as a little child. And a little child is dependent. So we've got to understand the dependency that we have before God. If we don't understand that, we will do things and we will think things and we will do what we do in life in a way that excludes God. And then I talked briefly about the, the, the biblical model of church governance, which is found in Ephesians, and it's the fivefold ministry. It's the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And those ministries given from God, those gifts given by God to people, are there to build up the church so that the church would do the work of ministry. We were all involved. We are all involved. And uh, from that, 
I, um, I talked about some of the inhibitors. So, because if if you've got a if you've got a church model of governance that is the biblical model of governance, there is a flowing together. There has to be a flowing together. It's it's not it's not um, a, a ranking in in order of of importance before God of, of of the different ministries. It is those ministries functioning together to fulfil the purposes of God. And if that's going to take place, you cannot have, and these are elements of pride, you cannot have ego, you cannot have comparison, and you cannot have competition. Because it all falls down when those things are in operation. And they are such a, they are such a, 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 a basic to our, our human, fallen human, human nature, those things. So all that Jesus taught was was countercultural. It was not natural thinking. It was not, um, uh, if you like to say, contrary to a human narrative, all that he taught. So if you have your Bibles, um, I'm going to read, uh, and I'm reading from the Passion. Um, it's Matthew chapter 16. <clears throat> And I'm going to start in, uh, in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If you want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your own life. And you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own, as you continually surrender to my ways. For if you choose self-sacrifice and lose your lives for my glory, you will continually discover true life. But if you choose to keep your lives for yourselves, you will forfeit what you try to keep. For even if you were to gain all the wealth and power of this world with everything it could afford you, offer you, at the cost of your own life, what good would that be? And what could be more valuable to you than your own soul? It has been decreed that I, the Son of Man, will one day return with my messengers and in the splendour and majesty of my Father, and then I will reward each person according to what they have done. That was a really, really, really strong message. You know, that, uh, it says in there, as you, as you give over your life, you will continually discover true life. And, and John 8.32 says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So it is what, we, what God is able to write uh, upon our heart from his word, the truth of who he is that sets us free to be who he has created us to be. But there is a letting go in that. There is a letting go of, of, of our, our thinking, our, our natural ways for that to happen. Because that is, that's a countercultural message. And, and everything that, that, that um, God puts out there, it, it cuts across our natural thinking. 
if you, if you want more, give. <laughs> Love your enemies. I mean, we could, we could rattle off so many different areas where, where God cuts across natural thinking. And it is his truth. And when we embrace his truth, we are set free. So, so what, what, but what prompted Jesus to say such a, to give such a strong challenge to his disciples? Look at it. If you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your own life. And, yeah, the, and further on in the Amplified Bible, it, it, you must be willing to share my cross. It, it even talks about you must be willing to die. You must be willing to give up your life. So what prompted Jesus to say such strong things? Well, let's look back a little bit further. Now, at, at this um, time, you know, Jesus asked the, the question to his disciples, who do men say that I am? And anyway, uh, long story short, Peter comes up with the, with the... Well, he didn't come up with it. He was given. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And that was a revelation given to him in, in a moment from God. He got it. That was not natural thinking. And then, I don't know how long, I don't know how long it was, it doesn't indicate how long it was be, between when, when Peter got that revelation and, and this next part. So just back a few verses in verse 21. <clears throat> Then Jesus, from then on, Jesus began to clearly reveal to his disciples that he would be destined to go to Jerusalem and suffer injustice from the elders, leading priests and religious scholars. He also explained that he would be killed and three days later be raised to life again. And you've got to wonder, yeah, that, that, that sounds really clear. Jesus was clearly saying, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Hear me? This is coming. And, and we know that they didn't get it because of their reactions as, as, you know, even, even as when he was crucified. They, they didn't get it. Uh, they didn't want to get it. Verse 22, Peter. Go love Peter. Peter took him aside to correct him privately. <laughs> Just think of the stupidity, sorry, <laughs> of that action. Here is the son of the living God. Peter has declared that. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, let me just take you aside and correct you on this little area here. He reprimanded Jesus over and over, saying to him, God forbid, master, Spare yourself. You must never let this happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get out of my way, you Satan. You are an offence to me because your thoughts are only filled with man's viewpoints and not with the ways of God. Strong. Strong words. 
Your thoughts are only filled with man's viewpoints and not with the ways of God. How often do we fall into that little trap? We see things at a natural level and it's impossible not to see things at a natural level. But there's another step. There's another area that we can step into and that is spirit-led thinking. And it's an openness to the spirit of God to allow him to reframe what we're seeing, how we're feeling... And allow him to take us into the, the truth of, of that situation. Because yeah. there is always a truth yeah. in every situation. So how often do we, do we challenge our own thoughts? How often do we challenge our own thoughts? Are we willing to consider the source or motivation of what we think? They're good questions. So a change in direction, a change of structure, a change in function or activity is always preceded by a change of thinking. Always. Always. Last week I I gave a a bit of a challenge about how how we view things. And for those who weren't here, I... You know how, how um, uh, sometimes we, we talk about people pushing our buttons, you know, upsetting us because that person is just pushing my buttons. And I, and I mentioned, you know, siblings are, are um, pretty good at, at, um, at that sort of thing because they know each other so well. <laughs> my, my son and daughter used to do, do that, you know. Camille would say from the back of the car, Caleb's looking out my window. Because <laughs> he knew that was going to push her button. So we... Like, you know, that side, of the, that side of the car was forbidden for him to... But anyway. So someone's pushing my buttons. And I, I put the challenge um, out there is why do we still have buttons that people can push? If we have died to self, if we have given everything over to God, why do we still have buttons? How is it that somebody can find a button to push to upset us? You know, Jesus said at one point, yeah, the enemy is coming, but he has nothing in me. As he's saying, <laughs> the enemy has no buttons that he can... I have no buttons that he can push. Hallelujah. So when stuff happens that upsets us, how do we view it? Do we view it as that person upsetting me? Or do we recognise that maybe... There are things that God is allowing to be revealed in our heart that we become aware of that we can give over to him. Aren't aren't they they different ways of looking at things? Putting a blame onto somebody else for upsetting me or thinking, how is it that that, what that person is doing is is up? Because sometimes it's just really trivial stuff, isn't it? 
I mean, sometimes it's just little stuff that, well, maybe God wants to, to do something, change our thinking, change how we view things, change how we perceive, or even, even it's something that God wants us to, to give to him and uh, let him do a change within us. Now, um, Paul wrote uh, much about this area, about um, being led by the, by the Spirit. We're going to read um, uh, Romans chapter 8, if you would. Romans chapter 8. And I'm just going to pick it up in verse 5. He says, Those who are motivated by the flesh. Now, in, in other um, uh, versions, it's, 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 the, it's the carnal mind. It's the, it's the natural thinking. That's what it's talking about. Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves. But those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset controlled by the Spirit finds life and peace. So it's a it's a it's a it's two sources, it's two Areas of motivation that, that, that have an effect on us. It's, it's either the flesh, it's the, it's the natural mind, it's the, it's the unregenerated carnal thinking, or it's, it's the Spirit of God who is having that influence on how we view and how we, how we think. Verse 7, in fact, the mind set there it is, the mindset focused on the flesh fights against God's plan and refuses to submit to his direction because it cannot. For no matter how hard they try, God finds no pleasure with those who are controlled by the flesh. But when the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh but by the Spirit. Now, just a couple of things I want to draw out of that. In verse 8, For no matter how hard they try, God finds no pleasure with those who are controlled by the flesh. Now, um, sometimes there are areas that are just, it, 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 you know, behaviours and whatever, that it's just so... Obvious that yeah, that's that's from the devil. That's controlled by the flesh and whatever. Sometimes there are things that operate um, that seem to have an assemblance of order and, and they look okay, but they the, it's it's based in a in a fleshly mindset. Now, if we you know if we come back to um, the, the operation and the function and the, and the structure of, 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 of the body of Christ and, and God's church and how that is to, to, to grow, the scriptural 
structure is the, is the fivefold ministry. But you look at the church world over the last couple of thousand years, it's, it's anything but that structure. It's a hierarchical structure. It's a structure that comes from the world. It's a, in, a, in our modern um, uh, church world, you know, outside the traditional churches, you know, the Pentecostal churches, many of them are structured as a, as a corporation. It's a corporate structure. Uh, it's, it's, it's thoughts that have been borrowed from the, from the business world and, 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 and run as, as a business. It's, and, we, and we look at that and we say, well, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's working. Yeah, great. Great, but it's not God's pattern. It's not his plan for the church. So it is carnal. It is flesh-based. And uh, I'm sure there'd be some pushback on that thought. But um, <laughs> but God is building his church. He will build his church. He is building his church. And he will have the church that he says he will, he, he will have. And it will be based on what he says it will be based on. So we can, we, can, we can try and we can strive and all those things, but if it's out to, and, and on a personal level, we can try and we can strive, but if we're not following God's moving, we're not following spirit-led direction, spirit-led thinking, it will be to, to no avail. It will be to no avail. And that next, um, that next thought, um, when I find it, God finds no pleasure with those who are controlled by the flesh. Yeah, my, and we can look. We can read that, and we can say, "Well, I thought that that you know, God God loves us all the time." Yes, He does. Absolutely. So what does it mean by he finds no pleasure in those who are, who are controlled by the flesh? And I can, I can use an example from my experience. It's not a perfect example, but it, will, it, um, it serves. Um, my mum once said to me, um, probably on those very, very rare occasions where I was being a particularly obnoxious teenager... maybe more than one occasion. And I've always remembered this. She looked me in the eye and she said, <laughs> oh boy, yeah. Um, and it did have an effect on me at the time. He said, I will always love you. I will always love you. But sometimes I don't like you very much. Wow, that went whack. (laughs) Made me think. I will always love you. But sometimes I don't like you very much. And, you know, I said it's not a perfect example, but sometimes I I, I think of uh, that's how God looks at his church. 
Because love is not a mushy feeling. Love is the decision, the decisions that God makes. His greatest expression of love on the cross, that was very messy. And his decision was giving himself uh, for those who hated him. Forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they're doing. That was God's expression of love. So he will always love us. But sometimes what we think and then do doesn't bring him great joy. <laughs> but, but, but he is creating a body <laughs> that will bring him great joy because we will give him everything. All that we are, hold nothing back. And he will have that. He will have that body. He will have that church in the world. It's, 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 it's global. He's doing this work globally. He's doing this work all over the earth. And only God can do that. Only God can do that. Hallelujah. And then it says in verse 8, But when the Spirit of, the Spirit of, of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by, by the flesh, but by the Spirit. Hallelujah. So what does that, what does that mean? When the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, it's, it's God's grace. It is the grace of God. Now, you know, you, we've all heard the, the, um, the definition of grace is, is unmerited favour, and that's correct. Something that we get that we didn't, didn't deserve. God's grace but it's so much more than that his grace is his his power (laughs) to do the things that we can't do on on our own we can try and do them on our own we're outside of grace we can submit to God agree with what he says and his grace is there to empower us to do empower us to be led by the spirit Empower us every day to do the everyday things that, uh, that we need to do. Glory to God. Well, you know, that you say, well, yeah, empowered by the grace of God. That sounds great, but, but, but how? That's, that's a very good question. Read the word. Meditate on the word. Believe the word. And then God does the rest. <laughs> His word in, the, in, in Ephesians 6, the, the armour of God, it's the sword of the spirit. It's the sword of the spirit. We've got to give something to God to work with. We've got to uh, allow him to work with us and he works with us by his word and his spirit, his spirit enlightening his word, changing our heart. And, and you know, in, 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 the, in the Christian world, um, you know, word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, well, some people are trying to take on the devil with, with a butter knife. That's the size of their sword. Why? Because that's how much word they've allowed to 
to get into, into their heart. That's not going to work very well. So God is building his church by shaping the individual stones that will fit together to create the temple. Each and every one of us. He's, he's doing that work within us. And then he is fitting us within the communities, the church, as he has designed and as he sees fit to do. Now, Israel spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness because they rejected what God said. And we know the story. Um, God said, I'm taking you into a land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm taking you into the land that I promised. And when it came to the point, and with the spies and, and, and all of that, they said, no, we are not able. There's thinking outside of what God had said. Yeah. That's looking at us. They were looking at themselves. Yeah. And, and God wasn't in the picture of their, of their frame of thinking. Joshua and Caleb said, we, no, we can do this because God is with us. The others weren't, weren't thinking about God at all. So Israel spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness because they rejected what God had said. Can I put to you that the church has spent 40 jubilees? Now, your jubilees, 50 years. And you know, that's, another, that's another time. Um, but the Jubilee was a very special period of time. It was a time of release. It was a time of all, all good things. And, uh, and so we've, the, the church has been in operation for about 2,000 years. So 40 times 50, 40 lots of, of Jubilees. And we've been wondering... Around in the wilderness, not functioning properly. But God is building his church to function in the pattern that he demonstrated and left for the church to follow. So the early church showed that it worked. We have the we, we've got the historical evidence of that. It was working. But the church moved away from the model, and you can look, in, look into church history and see all the reasons uh, for that. Um, and, uh, but, but basically, it was moving away from being led by the Holy Spirit in what they were doing and um, taking on lots of natural, natural thinking. And you know, God has been in the process of restoring back to the church over a 500-year you know, period, 500-plus-year period, the things that were lost from the, from the early church. And you think, well, that's a, very long, that's a very long period of time, generation after generation, and, and generations of people have, have, have gone and, and to be with the Lord without seeing the fulfilment of it. Fine. They're not, you know, if they're with the Lord right now, they're, they're, not, they're not concerned about that. If I never see the fulfilment of what I believe for, that's all right. There are more generations coming. (laughs) 
And, you know, I'll be okay because I know where I'm going. <laughs> and when you get there, you won't want to come back. <laughs> so that's fine. That's, there's no problem there. But things are accelerating. Things are accelerating. There are so many things happening. God is doing, he's putting so many pieces in the puzzle together. And, you know, that's, not, that's on the good side. On the other side, he's revealing so many of the, of the lies that, that um, have been so prevalent. Um, and, you know, that area is accelerated. But the lies are being revealed. The truth is being um, brought out into the open. And, and I've said it before, that is those natural things that are going to make people ask, what is truth? And we better jolly well be ready because there's going to be a lot of truth-telling that's going to need to happen. And there's going to be a lot of people that are going to want the truth. And he is Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, glory to God. Um, I read a scripture last week and um, I'm going to go back to to that and continue a little bit further. Uh, it's in Romans 12. I think I read the first couple of verses, but we're going to go further with that. Hallelujah. Beloved friends, verse 1. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvellous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourself to God to be his living sacrifices and live in wholeness, holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Hallelujah. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. That's the natural thinking. That's the carnal, fleshly thinking. But be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a, a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. And often, you know, we, we, we read those two verses and, and, and leave it there. But Paul continues on and he, he, unpacks, he unpacks it. He says, okay, this is... He frames it, but then he, then he, then he unpacks it. <laughs> Verse 3. God has given me grace to speak a warning about pride. Last week, as I said, I was talking about those areas of, of ego and comparison and competition. They are all based in pride. You know, um, competition has its place. You know, sporting fields, there was a pretty good competition Yesterday afternoon, don't want to say too much about that because um, a particular team has been elevated to um, where Carlton and Essendon already are, having won the number of premierships that they have during the course of their history. And now that other team has been elevated to that same position, which... Yeah. It was a good game. Where was I? <laughs> oh, glory to God. 
Glory to God. Those things, competition, those things do not belong in the church. On the footy field, well and good. Doesn't belong in the church. Can't be in the church. Self-promotion, all those things. Cannot be in the church. Those things are in the church. Church doesn't function. But then it's for each and every one of us to be submitted before our God, humble before our God, and allow him to do that changing within us so those things are not in us. If, they're not, if it's not in you, it can't come out of you. It has to be in you to come out of you. How do you know what's in you? Well, when you get into precious situations where you get squeezed... What's in you will come out of you. And sometimes in those precious situations, you, you might say something and you go, oh, I didn't know that was still there. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Paul says, God has given me grace to speak a warning about pride. I would ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion and not create a false image of your importance. <laughs> Instead, honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as the standard of measurement. And then you will see your true value as an and with an appropriate self-esteem. Speaking last week, God has given gifts that... that very hugely. And the, the gifts that we've been given, there is a huge variation of the gifts. And each of those gifts are important. And if God has given you a gift, he expects you to operate in that gift. He doesn't expect you to operate in somebody else's gift. Yeah. And, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. So if you see somebody operating in a, in, in a, in a, you know, a great variety of, 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 of things, well, if that's been given to them from God, God is requiring from them according to what he's given them. So there can't be any comparison. As we understand what God has given us, and we will only understand it as we're open before him, as we truly press into to his presence, as we understand, we will be comfortable in our own skin. We've heard that expression. We will be comfortable with what God's given us to operate. Now, yeah, this is a whole other another area. If he has given us something to operate in and we don't operate in it, well, that's not a good thing either. <laughs> but, but, yeah. Hallelujah. In the human body, verse 4, in the human body there are many parts and organs, each with a unique function. And so it is in the body of Christ. For though we are many, we're all, we've all been mingled into one body in Christ. This means that we are all vitally joined to one another with each contributing to the others. That's how it's supposed to, to work. You've got a gift that benefits me. I've got a gift 
that benefits you. And as we're willing to use our gifts for the, for the benefit of those around us, we are all built up. God's marvellous grace, that's his power, his ability. God's marvellous grace imparts to each one of us varying gifts and ministries that are uniquely ours. So if God has given you the grace gift of prophecy, you must active, activate your gift by using the proportion of faith you have to prophesy. If your grace gift, gift is serving, then thrive in serving others well. If you have the grace gift of teaching, then be actively teaching and training others. If you have the grace gift of encouragement, then use it often to encourage others. If you have the grace gift of, of giving to meet the needs of others, then, you may, then may you prosper in your generosity without any fanfare. If you have the gift of leadership, be passionate about your leadership. And if you have the gift of compassion, then flourish in your cheerful display of compassion. So many things in there. Each and every one of us have the gift God has given us that he wants to be active in the body of Christ for the benefit of all. And look, we could, we could go, go on because um, Paul continues to, to unpack this. Um, I'll just read another little bit. Let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another and never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. Despise evil and embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Try to outdo yourselves in respect of honour to one another. If those things operate in the church, the church operates. The church operates and, and operates effectively. Now... Be ready. Be ready for, for, for change. Be ready for things to change. <laughs> How else could I say that? I think God is, is moving. God is operating. God is, is, is building. So there, there, are, there are things in, there are gifts in this room. There are gifts in people in this room that God is developing. And at different times, God will, by his spirit, he will put upon your heart to operate a particular gift that he has put within you. Now, that can be a scary thing, particularly when you're... When you, when you haven't operated the gift that God has given you before. But, but this is going to happen. It will happen. Yeah. And as, as we are emptied of self and allow God to, to, to move upon our heart and we are spirit-led thinkers, <laughs> then that will be something that will, will come out. And you know, th those things might come out when we're together. 
but they are also going to come out when you are out in the marketplace, when you're out doing life. And once again, it, you know, it, it's not, okay, we're in church, we've got our church thinking on, and then we go out for the week and, and just do life. No, 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 no. We take the gift that God has, has given us, we take who we are, and we take ourselves out into the world and be a light. Don't put the light under a, under a, under a basket. Share who you are by being who you truly are and, and, and thinking in, uh, or being led in your thinking by the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. There's a, there's a, oh gosh, there's a whole lot, of, whole lot of other things in there. But... Mm. This is an everyday area in our life <laughs> because we have so many thousand thoughts every day. And, and the one thing I'd leave you with is just, just challenge your thinking. Just challenge your thinking. Don't just get on autopilot. And I know a lot of what we do in our, in our lives, you know, we, we've established a pattern a routine, a habit in our, in our thinking and we just, we just leave that and operate in that um, so that we can think about other things. And that can be handy at times, but sometimes it's, it's a problem. So challenge your thinking, challenge your thoughts. A thought comes, ask yourself, why do I think that? Someone pushes your button through, a button through the week, Ask yourself, why am I thinking like that? Why am I reacting like that? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Lord, it's your word that we've received in our hearts and, and, and meditate on and, and allow Holy Spirit to, to write in our heart that changes us into who you've created us to be. And Lord, we thank you that, that you, you called us. We thank you that we, we came, to you, came to you as we were. And Lord, we thank you for the, for the reformation of our thinking. We thank you for the transformation of, of who we were in our, in our natural um, fallen state to, to who you're creating us to be as members in particular in your body. And Lord, for all that you've done and all that you're going to do, we just, we just give you the praise and glory. And we are in awe of you. Hallelujah. 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 In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going um, to have communion. So... If, uh, if you have not got your little cup, if you can grab that now.
Hello, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. What a beautiful, beautiful service we've had this morning. The Spirit of the Lord was here. It was absolutely sensational, the singing and the worship this morning. I just want to say that Jesus Christ, the King of Heaven, is here with us this morning. Hallelujah and bless his beautiful name. I just have some verses that I'd like to share with you this morning in relation to communion. It's such a special time when we gathered together as the body of Christ to partake in what Jesus did on the cross for us. Um, so I'm just looking at um, Hebrews 10, and I'll just read a few verses, and I've got a few thoughts I'd like to share with you. Every priest goes to work at the altar each day and offers the same old sacrifices year in and year out but never makes a dent in the sin problem. As a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for all sins, and that was it. Then he sat down right beside God and waited for his enemies to cave in. Hallelujah, Lord. Bless your beautiful name. Hallelujah, Lord. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. And that's us, guys, isn't it? So imperfect, but Jesus makes the difference always. Yes. Hallelujah, Lord. By that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit confirms this. This new plan I'm making with Israel isn't going to be written on paper. It isn't going to be chiseled in stone. This time, I'm writing out the plan in them, carving it into the lining of their hearts, right into the lining of our hearts. And when I was reading that, like in the James Version, it says just in our heart. But when I saw that um, in the lining of the heart, I thought, wow, Lord, I need to just look into this a little bit further. The lining of the heart. Not just the heart, the lining of the heart. And the heart is surrounded by a protective sac called the pericardium. We've probably, there might be some nurses and some medical people here that know, we all probably know that term, the pericardium. The pericardium is made up of two layers of thin tissue that contain fluid. The fluid allows the layers to glide smoothly over each other when the heart beats. Wow. How beautiful is that? Our heart, this amazing part of our bodies that God has created and put in us. The pericardium keeps the heart in place and protects it. Hallelujah, Lord. He's put mechanisms in our own heart to protect it. And, of course, this is what the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts. As Tim was talking about, God always looks at our heart. He wants to see what's in our heart how we're prepared to work with him through our heart. And he gave everything for us, as we know. So the heart is so, so special. And he, he concludes, It'll forever wipe the, he will forever wipe the slate clean. Once sins are taken care of for good, there's no longer any need to offer sacrifices for them. And just going back to the lining of the heart, about four, five, six, seven weeks ago, one Sunday morning after, after church, I was talking to Catherine 
and we were talking about the crucifixion and what Jesus did for us on the cross. And Catherine said to me, Chris, I believe that Jesus, when he was on the cross, could see us. Just think about that for a minute. That Jesus could see us through the centuries, as Tim was talking about. That Jesus could see us and see our heart. It's just amazing to think about that. But Jesus wanted to write something in our heart. Um, and that's what it says here. So, friends, now we can, without hesitation, walk right up to God, into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. Hallelujah, Lord. And what Catherine was saying to me, Jesus can see right through the future to look into our heart, and he wants to write that word right in the very most important part of our heart, in the pericardium, right where it does the most good for us, shows us how to walk every day, how to be in his presence and worship him. He gives us the strength. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And when we look at the cross, we know what Jesus did for us. It is so sensational that... He is so beautiful. He didn't have to come down out of heaven to do that for us. He was seated at the right hand of the Father. He didn't have to come, but he wanted to do the will of his Father. So he was prepared to come and die for us. Die on a cross at Calvary and to suffer those things for us. His precious blood and his broken body was done for our salvation for everything that he's bringing for us, for everything that he's bringing to the church, everything that is going to be laid out before us. Jesus is our Saviour and our Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. And I've knocked over my communion. I've been a bit excited, but that's okay. <laughs> Hallelujah, Lord. Maybe we could stand now and we'll partake. Jesus said so many beautiful things to us and one of those things he said to us was to do this in remembrance of me. So, Lord, we know you are here this morning. We've welcomed you. We love you being here with us. So now, Lord, we thank you for your precious body that was broken for us, Lord. We know that you rose on the third day, Lord. You rolled stones out of the way, Lord. You, com you conquered absolutely everything that was thrown at you on the cross, Lord Jesus. So we thank you for that, Lord, for your grace and your mercy and your strength. Let's eat in his name. Thank you, Lord. Lord, your precious blood, Lord, that was shed for us, Lord. How beautiful, how beautiful your blood that was shed for us, Lord. We thank you for what you did, Lord, on the cross for us. Your, your blood is so precious, Lord. It cleanses everything, Lord. It wipes the slates clean, Lord. It shows us who we are, Lord, in your presence. We thank you for your precious blood, Lord Jesus. And we look forward to seeing your precious blood do so many marvelous and wonderful things in the body of Christ. In our bodies, Lord, you can conquer all things. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, everyone. Okay, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Tim. Um, it's been a great morning this morning. I'll just um, finish off. Oh, it's nice to see you, Judy, dear. Um, uh, <laughs> um, it's um, uh, getting back into school time. So we've got some things starting up again. Um, if you're a little person under the age of uh, four, uh, under school age, play group is on tomorrow. And uh, that will be right here at 9.30 tomorrow morning. Uh, prior to that, we have coffee happening out the front. Mal will be on the machine again. And uh, we'll do some coffee for the staff as well on their first day back. But um, if you want to be wandering past after about 8.30, happy to make you a coffee um, and say hello. And uh, then on Tuesday, I believe our ladies' meetings are starting back again. So that's at 7.30, but I will let you know where that's going to be because I need to check uh, the host of that to see that they're fine and I haven't done that yet. My apologies. So I will put on signal um, where that's going to be and on our website where it's going to be. So Tuesday night, ladies are back uh, 7.30. Uh, then on Wednesday night we have our prayer meeting, so that's at 7.30 as well. Everyone's welcome to that, of course. Uh, and then where are we up to? Friday, our youth will be on again. That will be great. And then we'll be back again here next Sunday. Have I missed anything up there? Ah, Thursday prayer meeting. My apologies, Beck. Beck is a very enthusiastic leader of the prayer meeting on Thursday morning. So we'll be here to pray for the school in particular, but come along, we'll pray for you as well. Won't we, Beck? <laughs> yep, so that'll be great. And then, of course, um, the kids will be back in for Kingdom Kids next Sunday. So um, that'll be great too. Ah, oh, yes. Thanks, Mel. So we're back into our parenting sessions next Sunday also. And we have two to go, seven and eight. And then we'll be done with those. But we've been learning a lot. And, of course, oh, I didn't mention for the ladies too, uh, two other things. The ladies, uh, we're starting on Ephesians soon, but we'll have the last one of James coming up on Tuesday. Um, so if you want to order one of those books, today's your last chance to do that. Um, I will make sure those orders go in. And uh, also, uh, there are a few of us, aren't there, Hannah, looking forward to going to Fiji. So um, Hannah's going to go horse riding. Um, that's going to be a highlight for her. And her and Asha have um, written out something for me, I believe, as to why they think they should go. And um, uh, Ash has given me hers this morning. So I want to say to you, if you are thinking of coming to Fiji with us, please let me know today um, so that we can get that organised. There's about six of us at the moment. So that's going to be great, really fantastic. But if you'd like to come and serve with us, 
Um, what we do will depend on the skills that we bring. So um, there's always something to be done to serve over there. So that'll be a great opportunity. All right. So we're all right now. We're good. You can uh, have a coffee if you'd like and enjoy the rest of your day. God bless you.